0: Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Welcome back to Fright School. Hello, Joe. Hello, Joshua. Ah, Joe, here at Fright School, we are proud members of the Geekscape Network. And guess what? What we are kicking off our eighth season of Fright School today? Can you believe that? Oh my
1: god! No, I know, I know, it's
0: crazy. I don't usually like to say that word, but it
1: is. I yeah, because it's crazy (laughs) for both of us to have done and committed this long to something. Yeah, and to each other, Joshua. You are the longest friendship I've had with a queer person. Yeah, exactly. Not myself. And
0: California queer people, we're known for our flakiness. Go us. (laughs) But no, seriously, I know we don't usually really split up the show seasons, but we've always considered October the official start of our next season of the show. And so here we are, 2016 to now. Overcomplicating horror for going on into our eighth year. (laughs) Wow. Wow. (sighs) Let's make it to 10 and then just stop. I was, so funny. I was just about to make the same joke. If we get to 10, maybe that will be maybe we'll have said all we could say. Although what's crazy is that we are always finding new things to talk about, as we will get to in the uh, second part of, of the show today. Uh, but first, uh, I do want to say happy spooky season. If you haven't already been celebrating as I started, uh, I considered Halloween to have begun the day I got my uh, hocus pocus halloween lego set on back on (laughs) september 4th that was officially the first day of halloween for moi but if you're just now starting because it's october 2nd welcome to the spooky season 2023
1: oh my gosh i'm so excited welcome everybody it's it's do you know the grinch uh musical songs there's there's the one where no. it's like hu four raise da hu do rays oh, welcome yes. christmas come mm-hmm. i i think that there needs to be like a new version with the the citizens of the halloween universe and it's welcome
0: halloween something like that's you just sang from the nightmare before christmas perfect (laughs) yes i can hear it it's blaring in the background of my mind we're loading up to go we'll be at not scary farm this week going to universal horror nights next week we've got lots of stuff on the docket it's going to be a fun fun spooky season and then, of course, we can officially announce that we are teaming up. So if you're here in California, you could come from anywhere, yeah. but particularly if you were in the San Diego area, yeah. um, Southern California area, right. really, then it might be doable for you on October 17th. That's a Tuesday. Fright School is teaming up with the Lambda Archives here, which is this incredible organization that preserves queer history here in San Diego. Or is it bigger than San Diego or is it really just kind of?
1: It's San Diego, Tijuana and the Imperial Valley. Okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, so they are dedicated to preserving that history. And so we are teaming up with them to do a presentation of the Rocky Horror Picture Show and talk back at the Diversionary Theater in their, is it the Clark Cabaret? The Clark Cabaret. The Clark Cabaret. It's going to be super fun. It's also not a huge space. So it's going to be super limited. So check out all of our social media. You should see all the information that's out there now for links to the tickets, the donation to the Lambda Archive, so they can keep preserving that history. We'll be there. Again, we're going to be hosting and having a nice little talk back about the significance of the Rocky Horror Picture Show to the queer audience and also some feedback we might have <laughs> as it approaches its 50th anniversary. So yeah, it's gonna be super fun. So come
1: out and see us two weeks. Joshua, whatever 17. will we have to say about it?
0: Yeah, we'll see. And we have a really cool panel lined up. So it's gonna be, it's gonna be fun. Uh, yeah. That's I guess that's what I'll say. And I'll, we'll be talking about this probably the next yeah. uh, you're going to hear about this the next couple of weeks <laughs> as yeah. we keep promoting it.
1: <laughs> the The cool thing about Lambda is that they the archives themselves started out as like people who were who had all of this history about the local specifically local San Diego queer history. People who were passing from AIDS were yeah. like they would just leave they left their their things to the archives. And we have this very awesome repository, if you will, of just like regular queer people and the things that they've done. Some people who are queer leaders in our local area, folks that have been involved in various levels of activism. And I'm really happy to... I'm really happy that we're working with them. And it also happens to be, if you didn't know, folks, October is also LGBTQ history month. Mm-hmm. So it just feels like this whole month is the is the personification of that meme from the politician with Jessica Lang, where it's, that's what gays do, munch butts and celebrate <laughs> Halloween. And that's literally yes. what we're doing right now. Yes, I love it. And a big thanks to you, Joe, obviously, because
0: you brought this collaboration through your own wonderful context in the community as a professional gay out there in the San Diego world. <laughs> She's a pro. She's a professional. She is. She is. And I am. I'm very much looking forward to that. So it's going to be a really fun night. So come join us. Did I hit everybody that's involved in that? Lambda, (laughs) diversionary said all the things. If not, I'll make sure I catch up with them next week. Uh, The other thing to be on the lookout for is we have put out our official Halloween calendar. Uh, Every year we like to put out uh, recommendations for, uh, to make your spooky season a movie every night, 31 days of Halloween horror. And this year we are dedicating it to that icon of horror, and yeah, filmed them, the mm-hmm. sequel, <laughs> the Halloween horror sequel. So all the films that we have are part twos. Uh, a lot of them are are part twos of films that we have covered on Fright School. So we'll make sure we're all, we're linking the episodes that where we've talked about the original. But we're encouraging you to go out there and check out the second bests. I, I guess maybe we should be careful about that. It's well, <laughs> a somebody... raging debate on whether s- the sequels live up, but there are some good ones on the list
1: this year. So are you saying that there's going to be interiors part deux? I don't think that has
0: a part two, does it? It might. There's l'intérieur and l'intérieuse, <laughs> inside and inside, insides. <laughs> I'm not. Sh- I don't think that has a sequel, but it's things like Child's Play Part Two, Halloween Part Two, Hocus Pocus Part Two is on there. So there's some fun stuff along with some horror stuff. And again, join in the debate are are the sequels always worse are what sequels are your favorites that maybe even outshine the original there might be some in there that people can debate over i don't think i put the heretic in there the exorcist too but (laughs) that's one that i always it always gets a lively debate heretic yeah the heretic the exorcist part two yeah, I don't think that was on the list I made. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's the catch-up of stuff. I'm so excited for another year of doing this with you, Joe. And we, we've got like a packed October. It's gonna be super fun. Did you watch anything this week you want to chat about?
1: Joshua, I'm gonna say something that might shock you. Oh, okay. I am not someone who has been a consistent fan or watcher of the great British baking show. And okay. I started watching it recently. Sometimes my mom and I will pick a show and we'll watch it late at night when before I go to bed and yeah, and she goes to bed and she really loves like a good baking show. And so I was like, oh, let's watch the quintessential one. And I'm really loving it. Yeah, it's just, it's so like these British people really are serious about their pastries. There's, there's just like, also the most awful microaggressions and racism yeah. in it but i'm like it's britain right it's just it's I, I don't know i i think that overall it is just a it's a delightful custody pudding of a show okay it's also the only show where i know they're speaking english and i still need to have the subtitles on yeah sometimes they speak a little faster but it might be hard to follow true that Liverpool accent, that Liverpool accent is really difficult to understand when they get excited. That's why I put the subtitles on
0: everything. So I'm not a really good judge of, I can't really say. I, I need them for everything. I did watch that theater camp finally. Yes.
1: A little, a little Ben Platt and Molly, what's her name? Molly. Molly Gordon? Molly, no, not Molly Gordon. Molly. Uh, molly whatever molly, molly who was on animal kingdom back in the day i guess i could have looked that up before
0: i mentioned it it was very fun i am sad that i didn't get to see it with you because oh molly gordon you're right i ben platt and noah galvin and the who's who of fucking broadway yeah. jimmy tatro uh,
1: finley graham yeah,
0: all kind of... Amy all, Sedaris. All kind of, Amy Sedaris. That was the, I didn't even know that she was in it. That was a total surprise. I know she's, not to spoil it, but the movie is set up as like a documentary of her character's theater camp. But then she has a stroke because of a of a strobe light during, <laughs> or she has an, a seizure, an epileptic seizure during Bye Bye Birdie with a strobe light. And so the, the film's, oh, the subject of our documentary is in a coma. What are we going to do? So they just keep on going when her son takes over the camp to consequences yeah. but it was it was a lot of fun i recognized a lot of the characters in it, it they definitely captured i think ben platt and molly gordon they, they grew up together so they had this relationship all throughout their childhood of making theater and do probably going to theater camps and stuff like that so they really brought just a visceral <laughs> experience to to it and yeah it was fun i laughed out loud during a lot of it, I thought I was going to hate it because I'm not a big Ben Platt fan, as we've talked about on the show before. But this wasn't he was playing an insufferable person, but it wasn't insufferable <laughs> like both of them. Because her character yeah. is Rebecca Diane, which is just every time I think of it it just makes me laugh. Rebecca Diane. And what was his character's name? Amos. Amos.
1: Amos. Yes. I forget his last name. But I've Amos just, like,
0: Klobuchar.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: they Amos that was... Klobuchar
1: and Rebecca Diane.
0: Yeah, so highly recommend if you ever did community theater, if you did theater as a kid in high school, or forbid you actually went to theater camp, the Adirond. I think you'd really enjoy it just because it might bring back memories, <laughs> good and bad. <laughs> yeah, I do wish we'd watch it together because I think it would have been more fun. But although they didn't have, because they didn't, even though the, the, the film they're doing like Broadway type shows but in these small spaces so it's like cats in the front lobby or, or whatever yeah. First of actually... in the like yeah. multi-purpose room in the multi-purpose room yeah exactly <laughs> so because they didn't actually do music from the musicals that was the, the music in the film was their original show that they're trying to put on i guess it wasn't as imperative that you were there
1: because we, we wouldn't have sang along to
0: there wasn't it <laughs> wasn't favorite... that moment
1: One of my favorite moments is when they're doing the casting for the different shows Mm. and it's, I don't believe her as a whore. I don't believe her as a whore. And these are like children. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She doesn't have it. I don't believe her as a whore. (laughs) Wow. And what's funny is I remember
0: being like in high school and doing like the high school plays and having similar wildly inappropriate conversations about like classmates who because I did a lot of like, stage management or yeah, like assistant sure. directing. So I would like, sit and we would like talk about like, who would be in the cast. And then a lot of times I still had to be in the show because we needed more men, sure, <laughs> needed boys, yeah, boys yeah, yeah. for the show. So I would try to be like, I want to do the mm-hmm. stage stage. Stuff. I wanted to do the techie things. And then I would like, I was Octavius and Caesar. I had a bit parts in some of one act plays just so that we could fill out the roles. But I really enjoyed, although I guess not in, was it senior year? We did a Midsummer Night's Dream and I played Oberon and Theseus. So I couldn't really do any tech stuff. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I have some wild photos I could show you. I was just going through all my pictures because my 20th high school reunion just happened last weekend or the weekend before and so i was digging through and i found some photos from high school plays and stuff that would probably delight you joe to no end i love that (laughs) if i get brave i'll post them on instagram but i
1: please i (laughs) want to see you as the fairy king yeah uh, it's wild but yeah what
0: else oh my gosh it's so nice to be back and doing fright school i just enjoy it it's a nice break from the rest of the week Uh, All right. I guess we'll take a really quick break and then we're going to be back to talk about the horror of Dracula.
1: It is mind blowing and
0: heartbreaking.
1: How many original scripts are written every year, but are never made.
0: So we seek out these scripts and bring them to life with full audio production and professional actors.
1: Check us out at Undiscovered Scripts. Movies made of paper. Wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Free. All right. All right. Welcome back. This week, we are doing something... So I thought this would be really fun. In our eighth season, like I said earlier, we have largely throughout the history of fright School really focused on American horror and a lot of the American horror expressions of certain like monsters because we had Universal. So you have Dracula and Frankenstein, the mummy, and the Wolfman, the Bride of Frankenstein, these sort of iconic figures that have uh, really informed the american landscape when it comes to these kinds of characters but something we've really largely ignored i think almost completely (laughs) i don't think we've done any films out of the hammer film and very famously there's the hammer horror picture so i thought it'd be fun to visit that over this month like revisits Some of the stuff from our first and like second seasons when we were covering those early, like Dracula and Frankenstein. And then, of course, later on, we did like the Wolfman. We're going to cover some of those same characters that were inspiration for Universal and bringing them and and examining them through the Hammer Horror studios. And we're going to start with the horror of Dracula, even though that's not really, I think, the first big one. The first big one, I think, is it was called The Curse of Frankenstein, I believe. But since we did Dracula, the 1931 Dracula is our very first official Fright School episode. I thought it'd be fun to start with that. Oh, my God. She loves symmetry. <laughs> yes, exactly. If you don't know Hammer Film Productions, it's a British film studio based in London. They were founded in 1934. So what is that? Like 20 some years after Universal? That was established, what? Like 1912, 1913? Somewhere right yeah. But similar to Universal, they really hit their stride 20-ish or so years into the production studio in the 50s and 60s with horror. And I think Universal did similar. Of course, they made some really great pictures and things before 1931's Dracula. But I think hitting that Universal monster run in the 30s, 40s, and 50s you know, really helped establish a Universal in some ways. Mm-hmm. And so I think Hammer had a similar thing, and they were used the same, like, Frankenstein, Dracula, The Mummy, they have all these movies based on these iconic figures. And they just dominated the film market in the late 50s, 60s, 70s, I'd say, Mm -hmm. especially because they had Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing and these two huge figures in horror that have come to epitomize visions of Dracula, Van Helsing. I think Christopher Lee played Frankenstein in The Curse of Frankenstein with Cushing as Dr. Frankenstein. So they had paired up in that and then returned to do the horror of Dracula as Christopher Lee as Dracula and Peter Cushing as Ben Helsing. So sorry, I was just looking at <laughs> obviously there's a lot of a lot of history there, but we're going to mainly focus on the on hammer horror. And I love that they have like their own hammer horror cinematic universe. <laughs> so yes. much like Universal has all of these sequels and things of the various Universal monsters. Obviously, they do as well. I think there's like nine Dracula films. Not even sure how many of the others. Again, we'll be covering some of these films throughout this month. So I'll have, we'll have more to talk about in the other. So today is going to be largely about Dracula and the horror of Dracula. Which for, so 1958, is directed by Terrence Fisher, written by Jimmy Sangster, and it's based very loosely on (laughs) Bram Stoker's novel. And again, like I said, we got Christopher Lee, we got Peter Cushing, Michael Guff, Melissa Stribling, Carol Marsh, John Van Essen, I think is how you say his name, probably wrong. It was released in britain as dracula but in order to differentiate it from the 1938 one, bella lugosi pick when it was released outside of britain it was renamed horror of dracula and yeah so it's about similar things jonathan harker goes to meet count dracula and hilarity ensues so let's start with your initial thoughts
1: for a 90 minute film it felt like an eternity I think it's only it's 82 maybe... minutes,
0: so it's not even 90 minutes.
1: Oh, see, so for an 80 minute film, it felt like an eternity, but I think most of that had to do with just how histrionic, especially the music like the score, mm-hmm. while fun, is just way it's doing a lot of the heavy lifting in certain yeah. moments. Yeah, that's by James Bernard, I think, did the music
0: designing. He designed the like the Dracula score, it's like a three note
1: piece based on the syllables in dracula but anyways go ahead (laughs) It it's still it 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 was just it wasn't a difficult watch so what did i like about it It wasn't a difficult watch it moved really quickly for a film that is you know how i feel about films that are older for a film like that she's an an (laughs) ageist these films are a protected class no for your film that's older I really enjoyed how they leaned into some of the gore pieces and it, the dialogue was when the dialogue was engaging, it was engaging. And then mm-hmm. when it just went off the rails and went off the rails overall, like it was, huh, this is going to sound, people may hate me for saying this. It, overall, it was a decent watch. Again, everybody's going to have
0: their feelings about hammer. Cause it is it's a different approach to what we were used to seeing at the time. They sure. wanted to do something really different. And, which I just said, I don't know why I said that again, but I'm a little surprised because I thought you'd really enjoy this more than the original Dracula. Is that
1: true? <laughs> See, I don't know because okay. I, I was thinking about that because the L- Lugosi's portrayal of Dracula and Christopher Lee's portrayal of Dracula are pretty different. Mm-hmm. Like, we... we Lagozi's like serving face the entire time. It's very slow. It's very drawn out. There's a there's like a patrician lusciousness about Lagozi's portrayal that is Dracula to me. And then you have Christopher Lee who is speaking in, you know how the British speak in very deliberate, fast sentences? It's, I am Count Dracula. This is, let me take your bag, blah, blah, blah. And he's taking his bag, going up and down stairs. He's moving really fast. The cape is doing a lot. The cape (laughs) is serving. And it's just so different. And it was it was kind of breaking my brain a little bit. And I also know why it has to be that way, right? Because you don't want to be accused of especially at the time that this was, this came out, you don't want to be accused of doing a Lugosi caricature of of, you don't want to be accused of doing a caricature. You don't be accused of doing the same exact thing. And Christopher Lee capable actor that he is, he needs to make it his own, which like the best thing about this entire film is that Lugosi and, or sorry, that Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing, they make their portrayals of those characters entirely their own. Yeah. His Dracula is so vastly different than Lugosi, than Oldman, And then you have, I think, I'm going to be honest with you, I think this is my favorite portrayal of Van Helsing. Ah, yeah. Because he's just, he's, he's just, he's just so, Hi, I'm Dr. I'm just here. And, oh, is that my letter? Do you, like, when he comes to the little, the little inn, the little inn area, I was like, was that my letter? Let me do this. And he's just he has this uh, matter of factness that I think is really, really works for that.
0: Yeah, I think that was important. So a couple of things on that. One, Christopher Lee has said that he didn't watch any other Dracula films before doing this. So he's claiming, I guess, he had never seen Bela Lugosi's portrayal or any others. So he was bringing his own thing. He really loved the book, the novel, Bram Stoker's sure. Dracula. And so he wanted he wanted his Dracula to be like that heroic in a way um, romantic. Uh, He wanted to get to that depth. Uh, One of the things I read in an interview with them is he would have really liked to have played uh, Vlad the Impaler at some (laughs) point. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if he was still alive when Coppola's film came out, Bram Stoker's Dracula, but I'd really like to know what he thought of it. Because I think that was probably closer to the idea that he had, of what he wanted to bring to his Dracula. Sure. And I think in some sense, Gary Oldman's portrayal in that film does owe something to the Christopher Lee. And Christopher Lee's version of Dracula, I think it's combined with Bela Lugosi's in some ways to mm. in pop culture to create a, a mix between the two, where you get these like aristocratic vibes from bella lugosi and uh maybe a little bit more like that romanian kind of a little bit more eastern european but with the sexiness that christopher lee tries to bring to it and like a sense of romanticism because that is definitely in here sorry i was looking if i could find the the quote that i saw from christopher lee about playing dracula i had it in a book and i didn't mark it but anyways yeah it was just that was his like dream was to play him that way I will say out of Monsters in the Closet, I did find this that I liked. There was it? Yeah. So one contemporary review a horror of Dracula tested. Dracula is no legendary half man, half bat as Bella Lugosi was in the original. He is handsome, sinister human being in a long black coat, cloak with a sexual lust for the blood of the beautiful women who are his victims. And so hammer home hammer films conformed to the demands of the adult monster sex marketplace and relied uh, heavily then on sequels uh, for their most successful films. And at the time this is coming from, so just to get into where horror of Dracula was situated, this is from senses of cinema Horror of Dracula appeared at a pivotal time in British culture when it began to move away from the repressive world of the early 19th and towards a different uh, type of life. Uh, During this period, Britain experienced a more consumerist lifestyle, youth culture influenced by Hollywood cinema, rock and roll, the aftermath of the Suez Canal crisis, angry young man movement in British uh, theater, Horror of Dracula can be understood as horror's response to this turbulent social change. But as an early example of hammer horror, it contains conflicting cultural values. So hold on to that one minute, that thought. Mm-hmm. And then we jump down to there's something really good about Horror of Dracula cannot embrace entirely the excessive sexuality and supernatural overtones of its hammer successors. British common sense must prevail. So this is to your point about Van Helsing. He represents a uh, rational scientific alternative. He uses the Dictaphone, compares vampirism to drug addiction, which was a growing but repressed problem in 1950s Britain, denies that the Count can change its shape, his shape, and uses a blood transfusion to help Mina rather than the garlic originally suggested to save Lucy. So he shows up as, as, again, I think this goes back a little to our original conversation the 1931 Dracula, where Dracula is representing this, like, sexuality and wildness and connection to something dark and supernatural and Van Helsing is showing up to re-establish the the common sense even though I think the Van Helsing in Dracula is a little bit more (laughs) wild means more superstitious and more whereas this version is that smart British straight laced guy is going to show up and explain oh, all of your silly superstitions are not like that's that stuff isn't real we need to talk about the real creature that the vampire is not something that can turn into bats or turn into wolves or burst into mist or whatever so i think that yeah i think he he just approaches him yeah very differently so i like that you brought that up anyways
1: (laughs) i I also believe christopher lee more as as a very erotic and seductive figure than bela does Mm. Bela kind of plays Bela's portrayal is not I don't believe I think it's like more because of the way his eyes are and the sustained gaze and it's more his like glamoring and entrancing and like the subtext of the subtext of the seduction of like this Eastern European force, ethnic, quote unquote, force. right, whereas you have Christopher Lee and have the ethnic aspect of it is removed. From, yeah. from this film and it becomes Christopher Lee is more believable as this predatory of women and people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that again was on purpose when he, so this is also from the same article when Lee speaks his first lines, he not only extinguishes the universal studio legacy of Bella Lugosi, but also returns the count to his rightful place in British culture. But unlike Lugosi, mm-hmm. I'm not sure exactly what they mean by that rightful place in British culture other than I guess, the count, like this idea of being bestowed a count.
1: Some sort of nobility type thing.
0: Because obviously the novel's version of Dracula, he's based on Balachian Prince Vlad the Impaler, right? But regardless, I, I do that they bring up, but Lee is definitely one of us. The count speaks perfect English, does not need to struggle with his vows. Lee's Dracula evokes his hidden desires within his victims, collapsing those British ideological barriers of repressive sexuality and good taste. So you're right, it is it's a different approach, and it does. It's he's not, it's not the same, like we talked about in Dracula. We talked about in some of the lesbian vampire films that we discussed, this sort of mm-hmm. ethnic invasion anxiety story that, or uh, aristocratic poverty, the rich are feeding on the poor kind of conversation. Mm -hmm. This is much more Mm -hmm. speaking to, what was it, the Victorian, the victories of repressed Victorian morality. Yeah. So in this film, because of the time it was made, and these were very real cultural conversations going on, making this film, having it be sexy. They edited things out. I'm not sure which version you watch. There's a few different versions of this film out. The version that I watched was, I think, the original uh, theatrical version because it didn't have... There were some certain scenes cut out, especially of... I think was it was Lucy or Mina. So I'm gonna, see, I'm not seen This is the first time I've actually watched this film. And it makes a lot of changes to the story. Yeah. Uh, at least consciously sat down to watch it. I have seen like pieces of this throughout my life, obviously. Again, this is Christopher Lee's very iconic version of Dracula. But because they make so many changes the characters or blend people together or change their roles, I forget who's who. But there's a scene where I'm pretty sure it's, I think it's Lucy's seduction, or maybe it's Mina when she comes in. But, anyways, the director gave the actress the direction to when you come in, your physicality, your face, your emotions should be like, you've just had the best sex of your life after you've spent this evening with Dracula. That's how you should play the role, right? So yeah. there are scenes that are very, for 1958 standards, a little, that were filmed and then cut out, but were very yeah. sensuous and sensual. And, and it's this bloodletting and their version. One, we've got the unmarried virgin, and then you also have the frustrated housewife and Mina, Lucy being the virgin, and he's preying on these sort of women. And again, the threat of taking them from their rightful place so the the men who rightfully, quote unquote, own them, he's coming as this freeing force to let them experience a kind of unbridled sexuality and sensuality that the life of yeah. like them allows that in the 1880s or whatever year we're in. And even to some extent, the 1950s, when this film came out, that women weren't really allowed to be so much in touch with, but was sure. coming right? These cultural shifts were coming yeah. very quickly as we entered into the 60s and 70s. So the film got quite a lot of backlash for that. Like it's lurid. And I don't know if it got like pornographic, because there's it's not really that, but it's being accused of, of doing something that the upper crest of can't have this, we can't have our, the children seeing these kinds yeah. of things.
1: <laughs> yes. That's the transgressive nature of it is that these are not things that we should be these are not things that we should be showing people. This is not something in good taste in good in polite society.
0: Right. Yeah. Oh, it was when Mina returns after Night with Dracula. The directions were to yeah. You you just had a very good night. <laughs> so play
1: that. You finally had an orgasm, and he right. found your G spot and your clitoris, like, <laughs> and he did all the good things to them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Exactly.
0: <laughs> Which again, it's. That is kind of echoed in the original, like the 1930s Dracula. But I think back then we discussed also the homoeroticism of the vampire. But I think that's really sapped out of this version of Dracula. Yeah. I don't read this film as uh, so much queer. I mean, we can respond to it as queer people and rather because I mean, I do think like Christopher Lee, although I don't particularly think of him immediately as an attractive man for me. But in this role, he's very sexy. He exudes a certain kind of energy that, you know, I think that we can respond to about masculinity or about his portrayal of Dracula being less dandy-ish, I think, to yes. some degree. Yeah. Less um, yeah. And he's definitely focused on, on women because even in the, it's not his bride attacks harker right he doesn't try to drink the blood of harker he's not really shown to be drinking the blood of men out maybe in attacking or fighting but that's not it's not a draw which we've seen in other dracula type stories the victim's gender may be a little bit less important but in this it feels very Lee's dracula likes himself a woman and that's what he's going after
1: (laughs) and we don't get a renfield right we don't get
0: renfield yeah, we cut that out. We And again, there are some big changes. Harker, Jonathan Harker in the novel and in other adaptations, he's a solicitor who comes to like help Dracula with some sort of lawyerings and, and get sucked into this world. But in, in this case, we have him. He's there to be a librarian, which actually man, Dracula could probably have a really good set of books. I'm not mad at that. But he has the ulterior motive of knowing what Dracula is, and he's there to actually try to kill him and any other vampiric entities he comes across. Which is cool, because they set him up, you think he's the hero. And this is a couple yeah. years before Psycho. It's Marion Crane, who gets set up like you think you're going to follow her, and then she's murdered within the first 15, 20 minutes of the film. Yeah. Scream, Casey Becker's character, you have that kind of iconic of, oh, this is the hero, and then they get killed. It's cool that Jonathan Harker is set up in the same way. You think that he's come to harm Dracula and we know in the novel he survives, gets married to Mina and they have a son some seven years after the events of the film. Other versions of of Dracula, Jonathan usually survives as one of the hero kind of characters, survives, gets to marry whoever, Mina or Lucy or whatever Mm -hmm. woman they Mm -hmm. replace and go on to have a happy ending. Then this, he's turned into a vampire and staked by Van Helsing very early in the film, which was a bit of a shocker. (laughs) Did you, were you surprised by that? Was that, did you think, what did you think? Where did you think the Harker character was going?
1: I, I was trying to figure out, actually, I had a question. Is the voiceover from the book, from the novel in the beginning, the voiceover that Harker does? He could be only because he, because when he does the writing in the
0: journal, that's obviously not because his role is not to be a librarian or to, or to be there to kill Dracula, right? Sure. So yeah. I'm not sure. I'd have to go back and listen to it. Okay. Again, it could certainly be adapted from it, but because his characterization is so different, I'm not sure what's what's from Dracula and what isn't.
1: Sure, understand. The Harker stuff was just really fascinating because you can tell that he is titillated by the vampire woman mm-hmm. <laughs> that's there. Yeah. And I was so distracted. I was like, okay, this is Jonathan Harker, like where what doesn't he have <laughs> I'm having the, the thoughts of having doesn't he have a fiance and then that little scene happens dracula (laughs) hits her away he goes and he takes that's when he takes out the picture of lucy i'm like what is happening here it was also just for me the urgency was a little sus right like he Mm. it's just it's a very kind of like english it it, it was like we have this existential and very real threat to humanity in dracula I'm just going to unpack and <laughs> take a minute to ride and I was half expecting him to go in and find a tea set and make himself a cup of tea before he goes out and explores the castle. So, the Harker stuff was very like strange and also because it's been so long since I've seen the original like Universal Dracula, right? And even though it's more recent, but trying to like get the Keanu Reeves <laughs> of it all right. out of my head. It just was, it was an interesting, it was interesting choices. And I was struggling to pay attention because I was trying to differentiate everybody in my head.
0: Yeah, I agree. It was hard for me as well, because I'm so used to these others because yeah, you're right. Um, Jonathan Harker's fiance. in this is Lucy Mina is mm-hmm. married to someone else, a character who I'm not even sure is in the book or not. I don't remember Arthur Homewood. Maybe he is in, yeah, he is in the novel. Oh, and he is engaged to Lucy in the novel. That's right. So mm-hmm. they've switched them their stories, and then, yeah, they totally change Harker and then Dracula, he's obviously his own thing, Dr. Van Helsing. Yeah, there's definitely some big enough changes in the streamlining of the book to to fit into the into this, again, 80 something minute film, at least the original version, it's been expanded. There's some other cool footage that you can find online of like when Dracula dies and the sun hits him, he starts scraping his face off. Mm. That was edited out because it was seen as too violent, too gory for the time. And then again, like I said, some of the more sensual scenes were pulled or toned down. Mm. Alright, what was... There was something else I was going to say. There was a comment about the unholy cult, which I liked. I don't know. that I was like, that needs to be
1: Something. We just need a, a movie called The Unholy Cult. That was the first draft name for this podcast, right? <laughs> yeah, it the, should have been. The Unholy yeah. Cult.
0: The Unholy Cult. I'm still trying to figure out how to make a cult, but we'll figure that out one, one day. <laughs> After I finish the this master's degree, maybe I'll, yes. I'll have some better. <laughs> oh yeah, Hammer did. They produced eight sequels, so there's nine Dracula films total, six of which Lee reprises, and four have Cushing as Van Helsing in them, but I'm not sure which ones. And those were made in 1960, 66, 68, 70, another one in 70, 72, 73, 74. Wow. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of Dracula in a very quick amount of time. And again, I think that this Hammer's whole approach really helped solidify this new version of Dracula in our consciousness and gave us some other characteristics that have been enduring I think in in Dracula and vampire legends all right
1: <laughs> other stray thoughts you had while whilst watching <laughs> I knew immediately Peter Cushing is Grand Moff Tarkin from Star Wars
0: yeah I believe so
1: and yeah. I
0: Christopher <laughs> Lee too is like Count Dooku I think he's Count the Dooku. they were like I old was- friends apparently they work together a lot they both have very nice things to say about each other if you look at interviews Lee and Cushing, sure, um, sure. they had a very
1: enduring uh, friendship and professional relationship. They, I, I just kept hearing as he's talking, I just couldn't get uh, you may file when ready out of my <laughs> head. Yeah, And then Arthur, I was like, why does this guy look familiar? And then I went on IMDb towards the end of the film and I was like, oh my god, that's Alfred from the Batman movies, from Tim Burton, from the Schumacher. Yeah, like, Michael Goff yes yeah yeah oh this guy love it
0: <laughs> there was some ah man that reminded me of something else i think it might be in an upcoming might be coming in an up never mind i'll wait i'll save that for a future episode but there's another person that shows up in some of these movies that will have will have some crossover with some other films that we've talked about yeah okay uh, I also had the same thoughts. Like when I was watching, his, oh man, are both of them? Is it Star Trek, Star Wars?
1: What? Sansquench
0: yeah. wasn't watching with me, so I didn't have him to help point out who was who.
1: <laughs> oh, that guy played an alien on this episode of Generation. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: I will say so. Just to go back to the Hammer horror uh, film productions or Hammer film productions in general, like I said, they had they were very they had the hold. They dominated. <laughs> and horror in this time frame, the 50s, 60s, 70s. And there's a Kate Bush song called Hammer Horror that's all about it's strange. It's like about an actor playing the hunchback of Notre Dame. Yeah, it's something. You should all listen to that. Go find that. Make that the next running up that hill. <laughs> and then it, so they went away in the 80s. They stopped producing around the 80s and then they were bought out. And rebranded sure. and started releasing films again around 2007, 2008, including in 2010, the Let the Right One In remake, Let Me In, was produced by Under the Hammer, Hammer Productions moniker, The Woman in Black with Little Harry Potter, Daniel, whatever, <laughs> and The Lodge in 2019, which I don't think we ever did on the show, but I did watch. It's quite a fucked up film. I I, I enjoyed that. We should do that sometime, actually. Okay. And we're craving a, a snowed in feel.
1: Oh, dear. We'll wait for the weather to turn a little bit more heinous. Yeah. But again, I don't know how over these
0: years we've missed talking about like any of hammer horror. So I'm excited for the next few episodes that we're doing that are dedicated to some very big films that came out across, across the decades. I tried to find We're working. We're currently have scheduled a guest who will bring some really interesting insight into this conversation. But then I also tried to go on and find a lot of different lists and looked at what's considered the best of Hammer horror to to bring into this conversation. So I'm I have high hopes that you will. Maybe you won't love all these movies, but I'm, (laughs) I'm hoping you'll again connecting them to some other the horror that we've talked about across time and and seeing these other really enduring versions of very classic characters from a totally different context. uh, I think it will be fun.
1: I'm excited to dive in just because it's, it's nice to visit the greatest hits or just, just the films of an established like yeah. studio or aesthetic like when we talked when we did the Jalo films from argento right like just about to bring that up that's so cool great minds so perfect yeah, Go ahead. so <laughs> i'm i'm excited and also it's come up a couple times when you've had conversations with some of our horror friends and in general and it's okay i need to be able to understand this because it, it would be like now saying oh my god i love an a24 horror movie right and yeah. i want to know that
0: Yeah, there's a really specific aesthetic, I think, that kind of comes along with some of these films, especially the early ones, the ones that sort of established in the 50s. Um, in early 60s. Um, and then as, as happens, sometimes the uh, quality is a little rocky. Uh, but yeah. these first ones, there's some really beautiful things happening in them and, and some really interesting conversations that I, th- I think is going to be really fun. And again, like we mentioned, the first half of the show, we're going to be doing this special event uh, with the, the showing and talk back about, of the Rocky Horror Picture Show, which <laughs> owes a lot of its imagery and success, I think, to an understanding, a cultural understanding of Hammer Horror. And also, you know, RKO Pictures and and Universal, yes, those are all in there too. These references, but there are some really specific references in Rocky Horror that belong to, I think, originally to Hammer Productions. So I think I just think this really will round out our conversation and examination of that film as well hmm. by getting some of our hands on this. Yeah, and I do have some interesting queer stuff coming up too in Hammer Horror, so don't worry, it'll get queer.
1: <laughs> oh, I can't wait! I can't wait for the gay shit. For you,
0: Joe. Speaking of that, really quickly, I, I posted about it on our Instagram so you can go and look, but we do, I'm encouraging everybody to go to Buy Olympia and get a copy of the print of the Queer for Fear cover, because it is gorgeous. Look at that. If you're on Patreon, you can see this. But if you go to our Instagram at Fright School, you could see it there. And there's links and stuff of where to buy it, help promote and support this great book and really beautiful art that is just filled with tons of imagery. wanted to quickly plug that as well, because we are yeah. celebrating uh, LGBTQIA plus History Month as well yeah. so that's the queer thing you can
1: buy today <laughs> I've always like flirted with the idea of getting a tattoo but I've just never figured out anything I would commit to and I think I could do like a lovely quarter sleeve of this thing like I I would love it's uh, you have to go on go to our Instagram page where we posted about it and also go to the queer for fear Instagram Ami who is the artist who created it she, has this beautiful artist statement about it, and every single thing is intentional. And it just, that alone just makes me, like it fulfills me so much of how much thought goes into it. And so please go out there, buy it. If you get a tattoo of it, show me so that way I can see and be honest with me about the pain of it all. But yeah, it's beautiful. Please go get one
0: all right that wraps up this episode of fright school all about the horror of dracula check it out it's uh, out there in the streaming land i'm sure you could find a copy and uh, we look forward to seeing you all again next week joe
1: good joshua. night good night <laughs> fright school is produced by joshua napier and joe farron our intro was edited by davy boy productions our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. <laughs>